Yo, yo, everybody, what's up? It's Trent McClellan with another episode of the Generators Podcast. It is episode 62. What is going on? How are you? Um, again, I am in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth, and uh, recording this podcast uh, intro today. And uh, it's Sunday. I normally do these on Sundays, in case you're into that kind of info. If you're one of those insiders who has listened to all the previous 61 episodes and you'd like to know what, when does he do the intros and the outros to these things? It's uh, it's usually on a Sunday. Um, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, feel like I'm settling into a little bit of a pocket of normality. And uh, that's because my girlfriend is here and she just completed her two weeks quarantining in Halifax at a separate condo minium and uh so she got out on tuesday and uh is in here with me now and it feels normal it's nice to have a woman's touch around the place you know they just instantly like make the place homey and make it seem livable and nice not that the place wasn't nice before but just there's little touches that women tend to bring to the place and little things they pick up and buy and you're like oh yeah i never would have thought of that You know, a little runner rug, not a big deal in the big scheme of things, but it makes a difference in your house. Ladies, you you do that. You have an eye for those kind of things. I do not have an eye for those kind of things. And so it's, uh, it's been great to have her here and, uh, yeah, feel like you have a semblance of uh, normalcy as often. I, uh, the last bunch of years, of course, I've been out here by myself and then, um, now uh, to have uh, her here is, is awesome, and uh, and it feels normal. It's nice to come home and have someone in your condo who's genuinely happy to see you, and uh, you get to hang out and decompress about the day. So it's been great to uh, to have her here. I hope you're having a great week, or you had a great week. We're blowing through November right now. We're midway through. People cannot wait for 2020 to be over. Remember when you were in school and it got to around May and you just couldn't focus? You knew school year was around the corner. You just, it was the worst. The weather got nicer. Teachers rambling on about the capital of, you know, Peru. You couldn't care less. You're just like, dude, I, I can't be in here anymore, you know? And I think that's how people are approaching 2020. Just enough's enough. Get it done. We're dealing with a pandemic. You got the U.S. election. Tons of craziness going on in the world. People are ready to put 2020 to bed. Okay? 2020 is that shitbox car you have that keeps breaking down all the time. And you're like, man, can I get me a new one? It can't come soon enough. I am sick of pumping money into this thing. It's been nothing but a headache. When can I get some new wheels? And that's what 2021 is supposed to be for all of us. And hopefully it will be. And um, I think everyone feels pretty much the same. Like everyone's baseline level of anxiety is far higher than it normally would be. And if you're a pretty calm person, you've probably found yourself a little bit more agitated than normal and a little less patient. And I think that's pretty normal for pretty much anyone. You know, you probably had a bunch of goals you wanted to accomplish in 2020. You're probably like, where the hell did those go? What happened to that? That train left the station without you on it. You know? 
And uh, we're all doing the best we can, trying to scrape together a bit of a normal year here. I think folks are really looking forward to Christmas for the most part, even though we have no idea what that's going to look like. Uh, luckily, I'm in the Atlantic bubble, so I feel like, you know, you can kind of gather uh, somewhat safely in small groups and stuff. So I think, you know, that's not too bad. But other parts of the country, who knows? You know, looks like we're going into a bit more lockdown in certain areas. So I just hope everyone's going to be safe, make smart decisions, and uh, we all get to see 2021. That's the goal that we all at this point, if we made it this far, wouldn't it be great if we all get to see the start of 2021? And uh, I think we can do it. I really do. I do believe we can do it. All right. That's enough of my ramblings <laughs> and scene. My guest this week is Matt Wright. And Matt is a uh, hilarious comedian and writer out of Gander, Newfoundland. And a uh, great dude. Very funny. Very clever. Uh, I saw Matt a couple of weeks ago at the Halifax Comedy Festival and we talked briefly, but I didn't really get a chance to catch up with him fully, but I get a chance to do that in this episode. And um, Matt's, um, I think if you're a comedy fan, you should check out his stuff. Um, he's got a new album out that came out just a little while ago, I guess. It's called um, Existing is Exhausting. Very, very funny. He's such a clever guy. Always has a unique take on things. And uh, is also a fantastic writer, is a writer right now for for our show at 22 Minutes and has been so for a bunch of years. And um, just a clever guy, deep dude. And uh, we get into all sorts of stuff. We talk comedy, we talk about life, and uh, it's got a little bit of everything in there. So uh, yeah, enjoy this talk uh, with my good friend, Mr. Matt Wright. Awesome. Uh, look who it is. It's my good friend, Matt Wright. Buddy. How are you? So you're so on top of being a great writer, stand up comedian, you also do snowblower repair. And that's I mean, what things can you not do, Matt Wright? I, no, I watch snowblower repair. I cannot uh, repair a snowblower or anything. It actually gives me like so much anxiety that if I ever, like, if anything ever breaks, I'm just like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And like, there's no, like, I want to go back to school. Every day I get more resentful of things that I was not taught that I wish that I was. And it's pair and it's brutal. Know, like adult school. If there was a, if there was like a course I could take, I would love it. It's brutal. I feel bad because my grandfather was very, very handy and always down in the basement working on stuff and fixing this and had a piece for that down here. And I know, and I just didn't have any interest in learning any of it. So I realized then I got to adulthood and I'm like, I know how to do nothing. Like, thank God for YouTube videos. That's all I, that's all I say. Yeah. And you know what else does not help that is comedy. Comedy is just like everything about being good at comedy makes you less useful as a person. It's just like, it's like the things you are rewarded for. It's just like spending time on the wrong things and looking at things in a different way, which yes. is not helpful in the rest of your life whatsoever. That doesn't build a house. That won't build you a patio. That won't fix the carburetor in the car. It's literally, I'm the guy who holds 
the tool when a handy person is fixing something. Like it's like, try to hold, hold onto that ratchet. I go, yeah, no, Jesus, you need a ratchet. I'm right here to have that oh, to yeah, you. I know what a ratchet is for sure. Definitely. And they also will give me a number to remember, right? So it could be like, remember this, two and three quarters. And I go, <laughs> and then it's everything, I swear to God, it's everything in my power to not forget that number. Like I'll, I'll start daydreaming about jokes or oh. something silly. And they'll go, what was that number I told you earlier? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I had one job. <laughs> so like my brother-in-law is like super handy with stuff. He just, and I, and the other thing about it is I think that he, like guys who are like this, I think they enjoy it. Like, I think they get like a bit of like, they enjoy, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I like when shit's fixed, but it's, I do not enjoy the process of it, but whenever he's over fixing stuff, like really what I should do is just go upstairs and sit down. But I always hover. I'm always like, well, he might need yeah. me for something. I'm just like lingering around. It'll ask me a question about my house. And I'm like, oh, I don't oh, know. I don't know if that's oil furnace or not. Now that you think about it, wow, that's really, I know. And I don't think they appreciate it. I think, you know, if there's some heavy lifting to do, I think maybe they go, okay, yeah, you can give me a hand. But I don't think we're helping them in any way. I think they just see it as like, now I got, they got, I got some idiot for just as an audience who's like, this, I'm over here fixing your shit yeah. and you don't know and you're just going to hover over me. You know, it's like as a comedian, I guess the guy comes up and tells you a joke, you know, you're kind of after the show. It's just, oh, yeah. here's one for you. I don't. How do you do? Do you, are you good at pretending? I mean, I, I don't mean to out you because I don't yeah. feel. I don't feel like I, I really don't like. I think it comes from a good place, and I don't like to be a jerk. And I am grateful that people are there. Yes. Like, I don't know if people know. Like, I feel so weird after I do a show. It's like the weirdest. It's like a very strange thing. It's like I've just talked for forty-five minutes, but I kind of haven't. Like it sounds like I'm talking, but I'm actually doing this other thing that just yes. looks like talking. Yes. And then like people come up to me and like if I'm over like hawking t-shirts or something after the show and sometimes people will say stuff and I'm like, oh, buddy, I don't. I can't. I'll just, I'll just smile, I guess, because I really I don't want to be rude, but I'm like, oh, man, I don't have the brain space to, to give you what you need. Right now. I know. I can't. I can't even let that in here. Like, but I get why they're doing it. We've just been. I guess vulnerable to a certain extent and have been trying to make them laugh. And then they go like, Oh, it's time to return what you've just given to me. But we're like, no, no, I don't, I don't actually need that, but I, no. but I appreciate what you're doing. So I always smile through it and go, mm-hmm. but in my head, I'm like, I don't want to hear that. No, that no, no. At all. And I think people feel obligated. I've, I've actually, I, I, I don't always tell people I do stand up. I actually kind of try to avoid it because I think when people know you're a stand-up, you get worse conversations. Yes. Because I think people will go out of their way to try to be funny, which is I don't I don't even like that shooting shit with, with comics. Like it's like, oh I don't wanna I don't wanna be robbed of conversation. I think one of the best parts of life. No. And I think you're right, it changes to I find too when you're at a social gathering and people don't know. And then they find out everything becomes about you in that moment or comedy in general or comedians they've seen or whatever. And again, it's people just trying to connect and I appreciate it, but I don't want to talk about me. And I definitely don't want to talk about stand-up comedy for an hour. And, you know, in that, in that setting, it seems very self-serving in that moment, but I think people feel a pressure, but I don't know if other professions have that. Like do other people, (laughs) but I think doctors might have it or like massage therapists or, you know, when someone's like, Oh, you're a massage therapist, but geez, that shoulders. I don't know. I was uh, the other day, I was watching someone fix something at my house. I was watching someone fix something and something let go. (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, I I will say when I get a massage, I'm asking questions the whole time. I'm fascinated by the process. Mm -hmm. Like, 
that you're like, what's going on? Why do I have a knot? What is a knot? What does it look like? like, I love it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm always like, I think, but I think in your work, that's a good, that's a good point actually, because when I'm, if I just finished a show and rather than someone trying to tell me a joke, if someone had questions about stand up in general or whatever, I think I'm more open to that and having that dialogue because I'm in that mind frame. And maybe it's the same when you're getting a massage, if someone's working on you, they're kind of like, they're in the process of work. And so they're open to like, well, you want information about what I'm actually doing? Sure, I'd love to share that with you. But when they're having a glass of wine, sitting down at a social gathering, eating cheese, they're like, so nuts. What's that about? Is that like, what is that calcium or like just firing off idiotic like. That you would just, that's, you know, like, what do you, what do you want to talk about at a party? I know that this, it's a weird time to be even talking about that now, but like, I was saying, as you were saying that, I was like, what would I want to talk about after a show? I know. What, what are those things that are, because you think you're right. It's a big switch to go from like, I've just been fully unloading on this group of strangers for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in a mindset of receiving anything other than laughter. I, I'm not even ready to be, it takes a while to transition out of that. So you're right. I don't really know, but I've had people come up and go on, right? Yeah. And I've had people go, I'm, I'm into stand up, or I'm thinking about doing stand up, and they're being genuine and sincere. And I'm like, I can talk to that person all day about, you know, stand up, but I don't want to hear your jokes. That's one thing I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, yeah. So what do you think of this? Like, don't ever say that to a comedian. <laughs> what do you think of it? Um, it was cool to see you, man, at the Halifax Festival um, a couple of weeks ago. I know we didn't get a chance to hang out, unfortunately, but. Um, I, it was so cool to watch your set because I was on after you on that late show, I guess it would have been, or getting ready to come on after you. And you were, yeah, there's someone else in front of us. I think Kathy was and, uh, in front of me. And, uh, I was like, man, you really mastered timing. Like it's one of the things I've noticed about you over the last bunch of years is like your ability now to sit in the pocket, um, in between lines that you're doing on stage and then like knowing when to deliver the next line, like you really found your rhythm in that. Is that something that you feel that now in this moment, like as a performer, do you feel like that's something you've had to evolve into? Cause for a lot of comedians, people speed up and they fear silence. Whereas you don't seem to, you're like, no, I'm fine to let this sit for a moment and let it marinate and then deliver the next line. Like, how do you feel about your oh. timing? Well, I appreciate you saying that because I feel the same way about you. Like, I think that's like, I remember watching you earlier and I'm like, oh, yeah, you can sit. In, I actually love that expression, sit in the pocket. It's one of like my favorite comedy expressions. Yeah. But in terms of, I kind of have a goal. I always want to say as little as possible and still have it go well. <laughs> I think right. like the joy, the joy for me is really like, and also it's coming from learning because of course I get nervous and stuff. And when I'm doing newer stuff and I, I will rush and I will mumble yeah. through stuff and over explain things. Um, I think part of it is learning that it's like, man, people need a minute. Yeah, they do. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Like there's stuff that, and the, I mean, the, the rough side of that is that sometimes I'll just wait there and it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not like there are times that you give people a minute and then the, you get that slow roll of laughter, which is like, oh my God, it's the best. But sometimes I'm just sitting in a pocket with a shitty joke. I don't know is bad yet. <laughs> right and i'm about to find out oh yeah but it's like it is like i do i just taping for tv is so weird it's such an unnatural it's not like stand-up at all it's like very much like i because when i'm doing stand-up i'm like i'll just freak around i don't care i just want people to have fun but it's like i i want to like give that like just say things properly and just wait and let the audience 
because the audience needs to think you know all these things this is new and i mean i'm certainly not there yet but like you sometimes you just like the audience needs a minute to roll over what you're saying yeah yeah they yeah. do i i compare it to um i invite you to my house for supper i lay down an appetizer you're about to start in on the appetizer and go, well, it's time for the main meal. And I pull away the appetizers and I put the meal down and you're like, oh, man, this steak looks amazing. And I go, hey, it's time for dessert. And you can never <laughs> fully yeah. go like, I haven't eaten anything yet. Like, yeah. Because I think you brought up a good point. It's about the audience, right? Like what can they process? What time do they need to process it? But sometimes we can be so worked up. We think it's all about us and just getting the words out. And it's like, that's not what the point of it is. The point of it is for them to be able to take these pieces and put them together and go, oh, and that does take time. Other people to have fun. I'm sorry, I cut you off there. No, no, go ahead. But that's the point of it. It's like to to give them that moment to do that. And I think you do a great job of that of like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to get sped up here. You know, I'm like, I'm waiting and I don't mind waiting. Yeah, and honestly, like, <laughs> um, that show in particular, I was like, I don't feel like... <laughs> and I felt well, I felt good about my set after, uh, but I was like, these people aren't good at watching comedy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I did feel like they were like... <laughs> they weren't... They were, I, 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 it bums me out, like, when the crowd is bad for stuff like that. I know we shouldn't blame the crowd, but sometimes they're always like, oh, the energy's weird in this room. It's also like it was distanced and, like, people are nervous because of COVID. I'm not saying they're bad people. But, yeah, they're, yeah. like, sometimes I'm like, you guys aren't – I want you to be – I want you to like it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that week, but, like, I do. Like, I, want, I got that in me, especially if we're all, like, laying down jokes that we worked on for a while. I'm like, oh, if I'm taping something, I want – you know, I want I want the people receiving it to be good because I've seen people receive it well, and this ain't it. Yeah, oh, that's the worst. Well, that- like Chris was Chris was razzing me that night because I think I got on stage and I said, "Wake up!" <laughs> <laughs> like, Come on, people! Come on, people! This is t- yeah. t- it's now. It's today. It's tonight. Um, but one of the things you've always done too, I think, because I've seen people go to festivals and not really give a shit in terms of like their set or whatever. But I think you've always prepared in terms of like, you know, you did a bunch of warm up sets. You were trying to figure it out. We were all at the Carlton trying to work on sets. I think that makes a difference on the day, you know, like it can be a hindrance too, to a certain degree where you're like, okay, you know what bits work now and how this should work. And then on the day that audience is not as hot as you'd like them to be, but like, that's a thing too. But you've always come prepared. I feel like when you've gone to TV tapings or festivals, you're like, you know, your set, you know what you want to do. And I know to people who are listening at home, they might think like, well, yeah, wouldn't, isn't that what you would do? But there are comedians who are like, yeah, let me just figure out what I think seven minutes is. And it's yeah. like, uh, actually, no, you did four of those last year. Huh? What? Oh, oh okay now they're scrambling and it's anxiety ridden yeah so you always feel like i always feel like you're always prepared like this is a set i'm doing i know what i'm doing each night and i think that leads to a level of comfort that's the way i approach it too well i appreciate that i uh yeah i do like i do like very deeply maybe to a fault like i want to do a good job yeah i really do i'm like you brought me to your thing there's a goddamn jillion comedians in this country who are just as good as me like and i'm here for whatever reason i'm not shooting on myself i'm just saying like there's yeah. there always you know if you're ever at a festival or anything like that there's people who are equally or more capable who are not there so i'm like oh man if you're gonna give me my time i want to do a a good job um and also like just the fact that like i mean people who who, who are listening to this who they probably don't know this but like when you record something for television you can't 
do it on television again. Like you, you have like, they're like, okay, so once you do this, you can't do it again. Like you just mentioned, you're like, you did that four minutes last year. That's gone. And yeah. like, I've worked on those jokes for years for the most part. So yeah. I really want, like, if there's going to be a version of it that I'm calling final, I want it to be good. Yes. If, my joke, if I ever think of a tag for a joke that I've already taped, it makes me live it. Oh, I get so worst. angry. It's the worst. Because you're right, that's out there and that'll be replayed for eternity. And you've got to sit there and go like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't spend more time prepping for that. Or I hadn't figured out that exact tag up to that point. Because I'm like, now that bit is actually, it's six minutes now. Back then it was two, you know, like, and I think you may be similar to me where I obsess about that stuff. Like I will literally go like, oh, that will drive me nuts and keep me up at night. And it's a blessing and a curse because I think it keeps you fueled and keeps you going, but it can torture you. Like, I think it's almost like a musician putting a song out and you're like, oh God, the bass line in that is absolutely, <laughs> what was I thinking? Like, it's wretched, you know? But well, it's I worse for musicians because like they have to play their shit forever. Yes. It's another blessing curse thing, and I talk about this all the time, so I won't I won't say too much about it. But just the fact that like you write a hit, you're playing that forever. Yeah. So the record in the recorded version is what people like. So like, man, if there's something in that that's bugging you, you gotta be like going around for twenty years. Yeah, like, yeah. Imagine if like Truber has a line in like we're here for a good line that just makes them crazy, but they got to do it. You got to sing it. You got to sing it. I think Michael Stipe from REM told uh, Chris Martin once early in Coldplay's career. Can I say real quick, cut you off. That's the most Trent McClellan sentence I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know me all too well. It's like, you knew there was going to be a Chris Martin or John Mayer reference in here at some point. Yeah. Uh, and I did it early in this one. Um, but I, I always think about it because I always used to feel musicians must have that freedom to go. Yeah, that's the version we did on the album, but we're going to do it this way live, this way we really like, you know, which is totally different. And Michael Stipe is watching Coldplay play a concert and he goes, that was really good. He goes, but can I give you some advice? He's like, play the hits the way you recorded them, because people yeah. drove a long way. They got hotel rooms. They paid a lot of money. Let's not bring the symphony in with the you know what I mean with this version of yellow or whatever it is and he goes he goes I took that advice to heart we never we don't mess with the hits anymore other songs I'll mess around with but hits per se they're like no that's let's deliver it the way it was recorded and I think there's some truth to that too and that kind of comes back to what we were saying before because like I do because so much about like you know like don't get me wrong I, I I like doing stand-up. It feels great. And there's but like, but there's part of it that's like driven an ego. Like that's buried in there somewhere. It's like, Oh, I like that people think that I'm funny. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I, I get like, the further I get into this, the more uncomfortable I'm getting with that part of myself. And I yes. don't like it. So, but what kind of does make me happier to think about is remembering that it's like, this is for other people. Yes. Not, I mean, it is for me in a way I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't because it's the best feeling in the world. But like, I do try to like, People left their house. They laid down their money that they made doing fuck knows what. Yeah. Um, and they came to watch a thing. And like that thing when we when we did the crowd and like the the week before, like the couple days before the set, and like you did a set, Foise and Heidi and uh, Majumder came out. It's like all these like monsters. Like, but that is better. It's so much better to do like the bar show, not bar shows. Cause I mean, the Carlton's a performance venue, but and I mean, I don't mean bar shows. I, I want them to be kind of good. But yeah. I also don't want them to be like TV good. TV's like too good. It's like, yes. like, yeah, like we never going to hang out. And it's like, yeah, because we were in our own shit the whole time. Yeah. And like, we just, you know, we just wanted to do like, I, I remember there was a time backstage I put headphones on 
And I yeah. was like listening to an old version of my set, like making notes. Like I wouldn't do that at the Carlton. I don't yeah. even look at it. I'm just like, no, my friends are here. I'm hanging out. I haven't seen anyone all year. Yep, I know. That's, that's my favorite part of comedy. Well, it's always that fine line, I think, between caring but not caring too much. You know, like it's like preparation, but then there's a line where you go, okay, you got to let it go. Like I can't stare at this piece of paper for four hours straight. It's like, okay, that's in there. I got to trust that it's in there. But I also have to have a certain level of being relaxed and kind of, all right, just let it flow in the moment and let it go and trust that it's in there, if that makes any sense. But I, because I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember going to shows when I was on the road and I'd be like in a hotel room all day, like just, all right, show's eight o'clock, just going over a set list over and over. And it's like, you're in Vancouver, go out and see a bird or like (laughs) leave this space and go live some life. But I was like, okay, what time is it now? Four o'clock. All right. Okay. Like, you know, you're so worked up. And I'm like, that also is not good. So there's that fine line between preparation, but also like being relaxed and loose. And being a person, like I yeah. have, re- I have regrets. Like I went to Ottawa and I could have skated on that canal or whatever it's called. Yeah, the world's thinnest lake or whatever it's called. Or it's in a hotel room, I could have been anywhere. Like it didn't make any sense. I was just sitting in the same room, just like kind of stressing out. I also, I want to run this by you because I had this thought a couple days ago. Like when I'm like getting ready before set, every time like the last like I'm not a big like hangout before. I love the after hang. But I, yes. I'm, like, I'm too weird before. I'm trying to get shit. Yeah. But I'm always like I have a little like a little piece of paper and I'm always like scribbling notes like about my set list and stuff. And I think now um, I'm not getting any better at comedy then. And I'm not memorizing my set or anything. I don't think I'm doing anything except soothing my anxiety. I think that's literally like, I don't think that's making the show better. I think I'm just like doing a thing so I'm not thinking about, oh God, I have to do stand up. Right, right. It's, it's like a blanket you can just touch and pet, like people rub blankets and stuff. It's just a soothing thing. It's not keeping them warm. It's, it's a blanket, it's actually just, it's just there. And it's like, well, I think you're right. Sometimes it's not about what we're putting in there. It's about what we're not putting in there. And for me, like, that's why I like that quiet time a little bit. Like I can't be around too many comics. And there's a thousand conversations going on. I'm taking all this stimulus and I feel that drains me in a lot of ways. So that's why I kind of like to stay in a quieter area. And I, I, I hid in that little nook area there, you know, or is that by that other stairwell? I went in there in that little private room and I was like, ooh, look at this like oasis where I could just be quiet. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I think sometimes I'm worried about what's getting in there as opposed to, and then, you know, so I try and just do that. So I find that fine line, but I get what you're saying. It's like, how do I not let too much in there? And that throws me off once I get it on the stage. Yeah, I've really romanticized like some essentially broom closets that I could go in, you know, <laughs> on my stage. But it's also a weird thing because everyone kind of uh, deals with their anxieties differently. And there's some comics who I know I could tell that they they want to talk until the second they go on stage. Yeah. I think that's what works for them, and it does not work for me. So like, I don't. Um, I don't like going to shows really early. I mean, honestly, like I would walk in at seven fifty eight and. Like, yep. I know. Right on stage, I dream. I know people don't like that. It's not a popular. It's not a popular part of my personality. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but yeah. Like when people are talking to me, I, 
I'm worried because I'm like, oh no, I want to be getting my set ready. And I'm also worried that I'm being rude. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But that's why the corporate show is so tricky, right? Where it's like, Matt, you're going to do our corporate. We're going to have you at the head table with the CEO and whatever. And you're like, oh no, dear God, no, I don't, I don't want to be sitting there now taking a barrage of questions the whole time until eventually they go. And now it's time for the entertainment. And you're like, I've been just fielding questions for people and eating roast beef. And I'm like, I know I need to be in a quiet place by myself. And so I, I almost always turn that down. I'm like, I really appreciate it, but I'm just going to be in a quiet space or even in the hallway outside the conference room, like just in my own space until I'm like peeking into the door, like, okay, they're not quite ready. Oh, okay. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the yeah, they're, they're not, and they always put you they always put you like at the front of the audience because that's where like the CEOs or whatever sit and yeah. like why and they know that you're not people are looking at you like that one's not supposed to be there he's you know not with you? us he's and they not. also like everyone thinks that you're gonna you're just sitting there like gathering information to roast them and I'm like man I got shit prepared <laughs> I don't care just so you know now Carl's retiring this year and Carl's always late you can use that in your in your sketch tonight. You're like, I don't care about Carl and when he's retiring. Like, that's not what I've been hired to personalize this show to every single person. It's like, uh. And anyway, that's all filling my head while I'm up there. And I'm like, you're all at banquet tables and half you're not facing me. It's like, I already have enough challenges without now. I got to work Carl into this set somehow. And, uh, you know, so I always try and go, no, I can't. Sorry, I can't sit at your head table. And I try to do that, too. And again, like, it comes back to what we're saying. Like that comes from a good place. It's like that's a good instinct for anything besides a comedian to be like, hey, please come sit with us. It's yeah. you know, it's like, it's like a very nice human thing, but it just doesn't quite work for stand-up. No. I will say I was at a corporate once bombing my dick off. Right before, <laughs> right before I went on stage, I remember this woman grabbed me urgently and she was like, boss is always moving his couch. She like grabbed me by the arm and she's like, you gotta. And I was like, what? And then I just went on stage. Anyway, so I'm bombing for like 15 minutes straight. I think me, Brian Aylward was there then too. I think me and Brian had been booked as a duo kind of deal. Yeah. I could just see Brian laughing at me. Um, <laughs> Brian's like one of those guys that like, I think he's so funny. And he can just roast you with his presence. Oh, <laughs> yes. Just a look. You're like, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm just – he knows I know. And we know he knows. And yeah, yeah exactly. But that's the other thing too. Like that's doing a, like my safest, my safest like corporate material that always works. Just trying to do my time. No one likes me whatsoever. It doesn't yeah. matter why. It was. No, it doesn't. <laughs> We're feeling it. But then I was like, some guy got up, to go to the bathroom, and I was like, whoa, this guy, this guy moves around more than Davis's couch, and people were like, yeah, eruption, like, literally just like roared. I I got a massive applause break, and it I resented it so deeply. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, that worked. That yeah. The thing that Helen told me as I walked up to the stage, that actually destroyed. She knows more than me about comedy. Oh, my God. What am I even doing? Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, yeah. it's a humbling career. And when did you realize, when did you go head first into this thing? Like, did you, did you start like at an amateur night and kind of just go, all right, this is something I want to, I want to kick tires on? Like, what was your journey into it? Um, I did business in school. I did not like it, but up until about my third year, I don't think I had the balls to say that I did not enjoy it. And it was like kind of the thing that I was like, oh, I should just finish this now. Right. Anyway, um, then at the end, like there was like a dinner or whatever, and they asked me, they asked it, holy shit. (laughs) 
<laughs> they asking you. They asked me, Dada. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. One of the girls in my class, they're like, can you host the dinner? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll host the dinner, sure. And I just like, I did it. And I was like, oh, that went well. And I was like, man, that's the first time I felt good at something in like five years. Right. Felt alive. And yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. just did like a couple of like little weird, like little inside jokes, you know, just that kind of thing. And then I was like, oh my God, I might. And I just, I went in, and then I went in, I worked in advertising for a while and I was just so impressively miserable during that time that I was like, I got to try something else. And I actually entered a contest. It was like a stand-up contest that was like a pro-am kind of thing. And I ended up getting second. So I was like, oh, this is... And then it was like, everything was about like, I need... I got off stage the first time I ever did stand-up and I was like, can I do this as a job? And the woman working the door was like, no. And in my head, I was like... Oh. <laughs> That's so cutting. That hurts. That hurts so much. But I think, you know, she had, she had a... That was coming from her own place. Um, yeah. But I was just like, then I was just pretty much... I cut costs heavily. Like I lived so lean. I was like the most important thing. And I still believe this is like, I do not want to have a job that is not comedy. Yep. I, just, I just want that time to be able to work on this shit. I don't care if I can't afford new jeans or anything like that. And I took a couple of jobs. Like I bartended a little bit and then I worked like for a film festival, which kind of felt like comedy adjacent enough that yep. it was fine. But then I was just like, ah. I just was like, okay, this is, I think this is kind of the thing. I actually haven't really had any like doubts about it until quarantine. <laughs> and they started speaking in. Yeah. Well, like everybody did right at the same time. I was like, oh, this could just go away. Like just overnight. Who would have thunk it? Um, I think one of the things too I've noticed about you over the last bunch of years in particular is that I think you really seem to embrace the business side of it that, you know, as a comedian, we can't just sit around waiting by the phone and waiting for opportunities to just someone to send you an email, although those things do happen from time to time. But far more of it is just absolute hustle and work. And I think I learned that early. Thankfully, I think I saw other people who were talented but weren't kind of moving in the right direction and other people who may not have been as talented, but they were working really hard on the other part of it. And they seem to have careers that I kind of was like, oh, I would I'd like to have that. Like, um, and I think that's the difference between people who seem to kind of have a long career because however you define success, I don't even know how you define it. It's different for everybody. But I think treating it like a job job. And like we said about festivals, like preparing a set and caring about it and just being professional to a certain level. And like, was there something that, was there something that inspired you to be that way to, to look at comedy and go, okay, no, this is, I'm all in on this. Like, this isn't just a, Oh yeah, I'm going to do it when I want to. It's like, no, I got to treat this. Like this is my career. Um, that's a really good question. I think, honestly, I just hated my old job so badly that I desperate, like, I was like, there was no stone that I will not unturn to, like, make a living from this. I mean, of course, there are some stones unturned, and, like, I'm, I'm lazy sometimes. I don't want to sound like I'm, I've got my shit together, like, 24-7, but I just really... Like, I feel lucky to be able to do this, and I don't want to lose it. I think yeah. that's like, it's just fear. Everything is kind of fear-driven. Yeah. I said to my girlfriend last night, I said, like, I still feel like I just left my day job. It still feels that way. It still feels like I'm always, like, a second away from, like, it all going away, and I got to go back to get a job to working with kids or whatever I was doing, you know, before. And so I think, I don't know if that ever goes away for 
musicians, comedians, artists, actors. I think that's always in your rearview mirror all the time. And it's always the same distance behind you, regardless of how many years have passed. It's like, it's right there. Don't you blow a tire? Because if you do, that thing's pulling up and it's like, get in. <laughs> We're going back. We're going back to the old J-O-B. Oh, yeah. I wonder what it's like, Trent. Um, like, what do you think, like, people who are, like, genuinely, like, wealthy? And I'm talking, like, guys, like, like literally, like, like Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld level of, like, literally, if you wanted to, you could just put your money in an investment account and just let it make more money, and you would never have to leave your house ever again. Right. But I wonder, like, how that drive works when there's i mean don't get me wrong like i'm not a big money person i don't care i'm not that i don't care about money my dad actually used to say this uh, and i think it's very good advice he's like money doesn't matter until you don't have any and then, yeah. it's, the only, and then it's the only thing that matters true so like i don't want to be i want to have enough money that i'm not worried about it. that's like yep. kind of where i'm at with like finances but i don't know i wonder i wonder how that kind of motivation goes it's also like it's so fun it's like so fun to do stand-up oh my god well i i really feel like you need a borderline obsession with it, I think, to be good at anything or be to have a certain level. I think you need to be. And I think I am. You probably are the same way. Like I get obsessed about jokes or a bit or why it won't work. Or I changed that one word for the late show and it seemed to unlock this whole other piece. Like I still love that. Like after 16 years, I'm like, I still get off on that just like I did in year one. And I'm lucky. And I've often said. If you're a comedian who only likes the performance part of it, like you like the adrenaline of performing and making people laugh. That's great, but I think it's harder because I think like you have to also enjoy the other sitting by yourself, being quiet, trying to figure out the angle of this stuff. Like I feel like you need that part because shows can be few and far between at times. And so if you don't always have that adrenaline to fill you up, then it's hard. It's hard to still have enjoyment from it. And I think for me, that's why maybe that's why Seinfeld still does what he does because he still has that obsession with the everyday Hmm, looking at something and just having a question about it and a curiosity about something that's still in him all the time, even though he doesn't need the money and he doesn't need to be on the road, like doing shows, you know, he just loves jokes, just loves jokes. I just bought his new book. Actually. Do you have it? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I just bought his new book. Actually. I don't, I haven't started to read it yet, but I just bought the, the new one that he put out, I guess, which is like old bits. Yeah. With the old bits and stuff in it. And, uh, I think it'd just be a good thing to kind of have around just to look at joke structure and different things. That's the other thing. Like, I still love anything about stand-up. Like, I still love any inside track, anyone giving you details, someone talking about the process of building a new hour. Like, when I listen to a podcast and it's just a comedian being on, so to speak, like, I don't mind it. But I find it far more entertaining to go like, oh, Bill Burr's going to let me in on a process of how he made his new hour. I watched that all day. Me too. That's, I would much prefer rather than just like forced. Don't get me wrong. Like I don't want to sound like a like a like a dullard or anything. Obviously, no, no. I'm like laughing when people are being funny, but like, yep. It's kind of what I was saying too. But like when you're like that, it robs you of conversation and like learning and uh, just knowing how someone goes from like how did this bit even come to pass and how everybody's process is so different. And like honestly, like I'm not a big. I don't write out stuff like word for word. I really don't. And I, and I can feel, uh, that can make me feel lazy at times. Like my smart, my smart brain knows I'm not lazy, but like my dumb brain is like, man, you're not writing shit. You can, why don't you, I'm sure it'd be better if you wrote your shit. And then I'm like, but right. and then I hear about other people's process and I'm like, Oh no, there's a lot of people who don't do that. Yep. And I don't think they're lazy. No, 
And your process is what your process is. Like, I know some musicians don't necessarily like, oh, they write every day and they, whatever they go, you know, they have periods where all of a sudden stuff comes to them. And now they're really just, again, totally obsessed with this one song or sound or whatever. And they just go down that rabbit hole. And I think there are a lot of artists and creators who are like that. Like it's just, it just comes in waves and then you just follow it. But once it shows up, you have to acknowledge it and go after it. You can't, oh no, I just like you at some point have to put some work in at some point. There can't just yeah. be, because that's what I found too with festivals. When you get invited back repeatedly, you get measured real quick, right? In terms of like what you've written and not done in a 12 month period. You're like, oh, wow, I thought I had a lot more new stuff. And then it turns out, I, did, did I do that last year? Ooh, that is humbling. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but I think you're right. When the, when the muse strikes, you have to kind of to acknowledge it and go and then see where it goes, you know, but I still love that. I still love building a brand new chunk of five minutes. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like it still well, feels great. And I got very lucky. I didn't do this on purpose, but like start, doing stand up in Newfoundland, one of the biggest disadvantages of the, there's just not that many people here. So a lot of people who come to shows are the same people. Right. I remember like when I was, when Yucks was here, I would go out and there would always be people, um, and I'd be like, oh, I, re- I saw that dude. And I'd be like doing bits. And in my head, I'd be like, this guy already saw this. Yeah, and yeah. It, it does make, it makes you write a lot. And I started doing like a Christmas show just in Gander, just like in my hometown. And it's the same people every year. Yeah. So you've got to write a new hour. Yeah. Which seems like very, very difficult. And it is. Don't get me wrong. But like one, it's like, it's not like an industry thing. I don't need to be like perfect. I just need to like, you know, make have a music. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just need to be worth, I need an hour that's worth 25 bucks of people's money. You know what I mean? I don't need to blow the goddamn roof off. But just that idea that I was like, oh, I need about 45 minutes of new ideas every year. And then you start looking at it and you're like, okay, there's 52 weeks in a year. I need to write a minute a week. Yeah. Very attainable. That fucking hit me. And I was like, oh my God, just write one minute of stand up every week. Yeah. And like, really, you could do that in one day. Yes. I mean, you probably need to write for four days, which and all that that stuff sucks. But yes, like, if you get the right day, like man, that's like it's doable. Yeah, but it's a commitment to do it and set that that's the standard for you, and you're not going to lower that standard to go like, oh, yeah, half of this hour is you've heard it before, but whatever. But there's a new half out. You're like, no, no, I want to have a brand new forty-five. That's your standard, you know, which is great. And, and then you, like, I don't like those jokes aren't are finished you know what i mean like those are it's just like the ideas are there and then like in the in the coming years you know like stuff that you didn't realize connects connects and then it's just like i look at it as like oh i'm just gathering material and then like i'll i i wouldn't record an album every year i'm not yeah I'm not, and i don't think it would be good um but like just the idea of like oh i gotta get all this shit together yeah and then like let it piece itself into a, a body of work later it's yep. I feel like lucky that I've done that. Uh, and also like, I get so, I'm just like a, my attention span so short. Um, <laughs> I just, yeah. Doing to, things, like, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about. Actually, the next thing is about like, you know, cause you've done some short films as well and, and written and produced these short films and stuff. And it's like, is that part of that too of like, okay, you just another creative outlet. So you're like, I just want to go into this other world for a little bit and really explore this other idea that I can flush out in terms of a short film. Is it, is it just that need to kind of just explore the other side of your creativity? It's funny, like stand up like is the other side of my creativity. Right. You know, it's like, I was, I was like, I, when I was, when I was like, Oh, business shit is not going to work. I was like, Oh, maybe I could be a screenwriter. I think that's kind of what I, 
would have liked to do. And I mean, I like stand up better now and I make more money at it and I'm better at it. <laughs> you don't pick what you're good at. But that's like, right. Like, initially that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to just like write scripts and stuff. And I still do. Um, but like stand up is, has made itself kind of to be the thing, but I kind of honestly, like I looked at it, I think I'm like seven years in the stand up, maybe eight. I don't know. Um, seven or eight. And I kind of said, when I started, I was like, I'm just going to give myself 10 years and just try to do as much stuff as possible yep. before I start worrying too much about just like being disciplined in one kind of thing. Yep. Um, well, yeah. Well, I, I feel the same way, like podcasting for me now, it's like 22 minutes. It's like, I want to develop my own ideas. I want to write a book. I want to continue to be stand up. Cause my big fear was when you saw someone be good at something, who was a comedian, if they only put their eggs in the one basket, sometimes you're like, oh, I can, things, opportunities can dry up and then you're just stuck in this one lane. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing three or four things, A, you present more opportunities for yourself. But also if you do get tired or fatigued or just kind of run out of ideas, you now have these other outlets to just go and follow and chase. And then you get hungry again for the other thing that you've kind of put away for a little bit of time, you know? So I felt like that way it kind of always kept me stimulated and gave me outlets to go do different things. But when I was a bit of a purist at first, I was like, if you're a comedian, you're just a comedian. Why are these guys like, oh, I'm comedian slash writer slash, oh, shut up. Like I used to read someone's business card and go, oh, you really, you're jack of all trades. Like I was yeah. so, <laughs> I was so purist. And now I go like, no, I get it. Like even as a creative, it's great, but also as a business model, it's great, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's I really, like, well, it's stand up is a little lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's a little uh it's especially when you're on the road if you're not with the same person all the time it's like you're really you're just there with like rotating openers and stuff and yeah. you're just in the hotel room all day whereas like at least with uh with film projects like i mean i know you're like this too but like playing i played a bit of like playing a bit of sports like not well but when i was a kid i played sports i loved being on a team and i like the idea that we're all like pulling for the same kind of deal yeah I was the same way too. Like I, I find the road now harder than ever. Like I mm. used to love it. I used to be like gone six weeks at a time and like just like city to city. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. I don't know if it's an age thing, but when you get to a certain point, you realize like I spent a lot of time alone in hotel rooms and eating meals alone at a Denny's or whatever it is. And you're like, is this going to be the rest of my life? Like you start, you start thinking about those things. And uh, I was talking to Nathan McIntosh about it actually. And we, we were you know, thinking about like, it is harder. I think as you get older, I think when you're 25 and you're coming out and you just want to chase the dream, it's all great. But after a while, like you have people in your life that you love and you have a home that you love and a home life, you know, situation that you love, it's harder and harder to leave that, I think, and go for extended periods of time. And so, you know, I think that's part of it too, right? Is like, well, if you could tour with a bunch of people that you love and you guys are hanging out all day and helping each other with your bits, that's different. But there's a lot of isolation. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't know what saw to stand up. They're just like, oh, I didn't realize it was that lonely. It seems like you're always surrounded by people. <laughs> like, yeah, at the show I am. I'm alone right. all the time. <laughs> exactly. I go skate on this canal for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I brought my skate. like... I don't, uh, I've never done, I mean, I have done six weeks, but like, I do try to, I read that Nick Offerman and Mega Mullally, like they're like, cause they're both working actors in different places. And they're like, we try to never be apart for more than three weeks. Yeah. And I try to, I try to hang on to that too. That's uh, a good idea. Just because I don't know. I do love the road though. Like I get antsy. I want to, like, I want to go wander around and drink coffee in a weird place that I've never yeah. been to. Like I, 
And I love going back to these, like I was in PEI a little while ago and I just went in this coffee shop and my, my laptop was already on the Wi-Fi. And I was like, I don't remember being here. <laughs> it, was, it was delightful. Yeah, like, oh, familiarity. I like this. Okay, what what is my favorite brownie here? Apparently, I've been here before, and I'd like yeah. to enjoy that again. Um, yeah. That's the other thing, too. I think you need that dimension as a stand-up. No one talks about it. People are always about, you know, craft of writing jokes and performance and all that stuff. But, man, that other part of being able to travel alone and do these things, like, not everybody can do that, like – the road itself will chew you up if you if you can't be alone by yourself for large periods of time. Yeah, that can be hard for people. And I've seen comedians go like, "Yeah, man, I just can't." They go on one week tour and they're like, "Yeah, this is not for me." It's like, "Oh, did the shows yeah. not go well?" They're like, "Oh no, the shows were okay, but yeah, I just can't." <laughs> you know what? I understand it. It's. I wonder, Trent. There can't be another job that has less work. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like. I don't mean like, obviously, like we, I don't think, you know, I mean like, man, I, I, I work hours. Like, even if I'm not doing a show that night, I'm like, even if I'm not really doing anything useful, I'm still guiltily sitting next to my laptop trying to invent something useful to do. I'm not yep. saying like, you don't do anything because I know we do. Um, especially you're on camera at 22, like waking up at 540 AM. I'm not saying we don't work hard. I'm not saying that, but I think just stand up. In particular, like, because I was thinking about it, like, I was thinking about athletes are the same thing. Like, the game's an hour and it's at night. Right. Uh, and musicians are like, okay, the show's at eight. But with those things, like, they practice. You know, like, they get to, like, okay, 11, we're all getting together. We're doing a simulated thing. Stand-up is only stand-up. Like, I don't, we don't sit around, like, alone in an empty arena just running our bits to each other. It's yeah. literally, like, you just pop up. Most minutes you do eight, most nights you do eight minutes. I know. Eight minutes of your job. Exactly. All of it. All of it revolved around eight minutes. And you're like, well, that's it. That's my work day. Done. Yeah. So like most of my Jesus, I'm just trying to keep stop my brain from eating itself. (laughs) (laughs) And all these yeah, horrible, terrible, negative thoughts, they get dripping into it. You're like, no, I got to prevent that. That's the job from that is the job, I think, actually, uh, it's just preventing that. Do you find being a stand-up prepared you for quarantine a little bit? Yeah, it's funny because that came up. I thought about like I've spent a lot of time alone and I go, maybe this is what it's been preparing me for my entire life is this two weeks quarantine moment of like, well, just you and your thoughts and a little (laughs) bit of food. So let's see if you can do it. And um, but I do I do think meditation helped and mindfulness and stuff helped me with that because I feel like I compared it to. you know, you are training for a marathon, but you don't know when the marathon's going to be. And then all suddenly they go, tomorrow's the marathon. And you're like, oh my God, thank God I've already been running and training because I'm ready to run it. And I feel like meditation and mindfulness did that for me with the, with the quarantine thing. How much time do you spend? Cause like, I, like I'm into meditation. I got, I got some apps I've done. Honestly, I've done hours. Of, I've done, I'm sure I've done more than the average person and I do it and I believe in it hundred percent, mm-hmm. but I am like, it is shocking Trent, how much time I spend with a secondary activity. You know what I mean? Like even when, if I'm cleaning, I'm like, when I clean, I'm like, I gotta have a podcast on. And then like, you know, like when I'm, and the amount of times I'm just like flicking onto social media, just for a sec, just having a look. And it's just besides like that, like 10 minute meditation thing. Yep. There's always, I'm always doing something and I yep. can't stop. <laughs> oh, it's brutal. And that's what I mean. Like the concept of just sitting in your own thoughts and going like, do nothing else. Just sit there and see what comes into your radio, <laughs> what channel you go on in your head. It's like, it's amazing. Like I, and I notice my mood changes. Like when I go through periods and maybe I don't do it, 
I'll change. Like I feel like I'm more antsy. I'm more agitated. I, you know, I go, Oh man, I haven't meditated in a week or I haven't meditated in whatever. And I go, you need to, it sounds like a chiropractic adjustment. I'm like, I need that readjustment mentally to go back to that place. But most people I think are moving at that clip, always filling their heads with something else, always filling their heads with noise and more ideas. And so we're not accustomed to just sitting there quietly in silence. Right. Like, you know, I especially with phones. Be better for, I, th- I, I genuinely think not even just like a better stand up. Like, I just think I would be like a better dude at all yeah. if I was comfortable doing that. And like, I know that's how Hedberg, I know Hedberg would like get a lot of heroin and stuff. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. but like, they, they, I just used to read about him and he just used to sit and just like free write in his journal and just daydream all the time. I'm like, man, I don't daydream at all anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm always doing something. <clears throat> I, I think. Well, that's, yeah, I wish I did that. I control that. It's, I, I choose not to. It's, it's not me. But I, yeah, I, yeah. I do whatever I Well, that's what I heard too. Chris Rock said about when he used to hang out with Eddie Murphy when he was a kid. I don't know if you heard stories about that where Eddie Murphy's found Chris at a club, clean it up or whatever, and he kind of took him under his wing and stuff. And Chris Rock said he learned a lot from watching Eddie Murphy in terms of what to do and what not to do. And he said the work ethic was through the roof. Like he'd like Eddie would watch every set and play it back and make notes and was very detailed that way. But he said the thing he didn't like necessarily was this whole entourage thing of like coming around with like, you know, two dozen dudes and like, you know, baseball jackets on and like, where's the party at? He goes like, he really feels like comedians are more in there, should be in their own head more, like more solitary and just observing their own thoughts and stuff. And it's hard to do that when you're surrounded by other people all the time, 24 seven. And I think I kind of prescribe to that school of thought a little bit too. Like I don't, I like being around crowds. Don't get me wrong from time to time, but I also love alone time and just being alone with those thoughts. And you gotta like, I, I just feel like I don't, if I'm around people, I want to be like in a good mood. And so if I'm not in a good mood, I don't want to be around people. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, uh, and I, I mean, you, you have to be in a bad mood sometimes just due to the ebbs and flows of life. It's just how it works. So yeah. it's like, if I don't, you know, I just want to do that alone. And I do, man, I gotta be honest. I want like five good hours just myself every day. Yes. And I think it's when you realize that about yourself, at least then you can, you know, you have to venture to try and find that every day. But when you don't know that about yourself, you're just kind of living life blindly. Like, I don't know why I'm just short tempered or whatever. You realize like you have not been alone uh, for the last seven days. You've always yeah. been around somebody. And the other thing I found, I don't know what, what you think, but for people who know me, it's different. Like they don't have any expectation as to how I should be mood wise. They're just kind of like, you just treat it like friends meeting. But when people don't know you and they meet you, they find out you're a comedian, there's almost this expectation of you being on. Like you have to be a comedian now here at the Starbucks. I need you to be, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh no, I'm not in that mode at all. But I used to feel a pressure to be that for those people. Have you felt that? Yeah, dude. And I'm not that person. Like I'm not like people like people like who I knew uh, like before, like they found out I'm a comedian. They're like, Oh, weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst. They're like, really? It is weird. Uh, I'm not odd. I'm not, I don't like, I'm not the funniest person. I'm not even necessarily like whenever we're like people, even in a writer's room, like I, most of my good ideas, I'm not getting like off the top of my head. I just have to sit down for a goddamn minute and just like write a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. People have expectations um, of you, which I find 
or exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because your special was like, you know, existing is exhausting. And I remember when you put that out, you're like, what do you guys think title wise? Remember when you did that little survey quickly on social about what do people think? I thought that was a great name because I think I think that's what most people feel a lot is like, man, just just being here on the planet sometimes is just takes all you have, like yeah. everything like and the hard thing, I think, is this like feeling of like that you're never doing it right. You never ever feel like you're actually crushing it in so many levels. You always feel like that could have been better or, oh, oh, I just learned that about, oh, I didn't know that before. Like you're always feeling like you never have the answers to the test. Mm -hmm. the, te the questions are always changing and you're like, but I just figured out how to do the triangle thing. And it, what? Now it's a, yeah. it's four the sides. The problem with moving, right? Like <laughs> exactly. in, in like, I found a, I found like a list that I wrote of like things I wanted to have done when I was 30 and I did most of them. And rather than being like proud of myself, I was like, I can't believe I wanted that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then went and accomplished it. But. Yeah, it is. Like, I do think like the, the thing is like, man, I just got to stay like in, like we said earlier, like in the pocket. Like I just got to be like, okay, this is nice. I'm talking to Trent today. This is fun. You know what I mean? Rather yeah. than like, making like god the amount of time i spend making lists humiliating honestly. do you do you find a struggle with this because i find this tough sometimes because of what the nature of our work is and what we do and everything's always changing and you got to hustle for the next thing and create the next opportunity the ability to sit in the now is difficult sometimes and you know like my girlfriend's an entrepreneur and she finds the same thing because you're always thinking next 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 mm -hmm. and you always feel like you're never doing enough because stuff could go away like that i find that a struggle for me sometimes of like can i just appreciate where i am right now what i'm doing small things but you also go like well, i also got to look at january i also got to think about february what am i doing in the summer do i have to get venues ready for a tour in the fall like there's always that projection of the future and so I struggle sometimes to be in the here and now and enjoy what I'm doing. Like, do, do you go through that struggle? All the time, man. All the time. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, it, it honestly, at times it feels like a, like a bit of a sickness. It's yeah. just like, man, just like, like I do, I'm always, the one thing I do find useful is I'm always like, I always try to look back and I'll be like, there was a time that, what I have now would have, if you told me like where I was living before, told me that tomorrow my life would be what it is now in real life. Like, I mean like, holy shit, I would be so excited. So just like, not to be corny, but like, like reconnecting to just being grateful to how you're a, like what you've built for yourself and how you're able to live. And then, you know, like you were saying before about like being performative, like as a comedian and people are having these expectations of you of being funny and stuff. That is definitely part of it. But then I thought about it and I'm like, man, when I worked, like, for instance, when I worked in advertising and just going somewhere at nine o'clock in the morning, like an hour I resent very deeply. Yes. Um, wearing like a tucked in shirt and being like, <laughs> I care about clients and people just pretending like they care. Like they don't. Somebody. But I didn't. Yeah. And yeah. I, like, yeah, I, I work here and I like it. Just lying to myself. That's great. It's so great. Like, I would much rather pretend like I'm funny in real life when I'm not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just fake it until you, yeah, exactly. And then I think 
it, you know, it's weird because it's all my, it's all framing, right? It's all like what stories you tell yourself. I really believe that life is about the stories you tell yourself. You tell yourself good stories, you're in a great mood. You tell yourself bad stories, you're in a bad mood, and it's just the way it is. But I feel like we we're in that world right now. I think we're always the world is moving at such a clip. And that's why I think you know if there was any benefit to the whole shutdown thing was I think it forced people to slow down and start putting things under a microscope and auditing your life to a certain degree and going, mm-hmm. why do I do that thing? And why do I do this for a living? And this friendship, does it serve me and stuff? And I think that's kind of the road I went down when it all went down. I felt like I was, I, oh, I've been given this pause for a reason. Like I, this is not just a, you know, a chance thing. It's like, no, no, I need the world to stop and go, what are we doing? You know? Mm-hmm. I didn't do shit, dude. I didn't, like, I wasn't like, <laughs> I wasn't like, I'm going to be productive. I was like, no, I've been on the treadmill for like a million years. I haven't taken a goddamn minute. I'm doing puzzles for four months. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, well, isn't that a weird thing too, to feel like guilt for not doing something when sometimes you're just like, why not? Why can't you just do something mindless and do something that just serves you or nap or do whatever? Like this sense of guilt sometimes we feel for not doing something all the time. And that yeah, need man, to, you know, it's really bad. I think it's really bad. Trent. And I think that like, I have like, I go to therapy and stuff and it's like, this idea, um, my therapist always talks about like this idea of shoulds, like that, and that's the most toxic thing. Yes. Stop saying anything should. There's no should. Like there's no. just you just kind of do your stuff and like be in it. And like like you just said, I think you just like hit it on the head when you're like, I'm telling yourself stories. Yeah. And you are like you're framing all this shit in your own mind about how you perceive the way anything should be. Yeah. Or there's no playbook for any of this. Yeah, no. you know, just try it's, and I've read, God damn, I know you read this shit too, but like how many self-help books have I read? And then they're all just different ways of saying, just like stay with your breath and be here right now. They're yeah. all like, I've read thousands of pages of books. I yeah. could have read that. I, I, rather than doing that, I should read that one sentence every morning and I would be better <laughs> off. Just exactly. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This lock into this moment and appreciate what it is. Well, the other thing to that concept I love is that, you know, something happens to you and you go, you know, that de- definition of like, oh, that's good or that's bad. And that's parable about like, you know, we'll see, you know, like I love that because it's like you don't know if something's good or bad. Given time, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you in the moment. It was like, oh, my God, that's devastation and it's the worst. But given time, you don't know, or is it the piece of a bigger puzzle? So it's like not being as reactive to stuff in the moment because you don't even know what this means yet. Like you not getting a job or me not getting something could lead to the biggest thing that ever happens in your career, you know? But oh yeah, there's some mo- stuff that I didn't get that now that I was heartbroken. Yeah, and now I'm like, thank God I did. Yes, that. yes, and it, and it happens all the time. So it's like knowing that. Well, how come we can't take that forward more into our daily life and go like? Don't be as reactive to these things, you know, but I think it's all based on insecurities and anxiety. Like it's that ability. It's just trying to fill those holes up all the time. And so that Barry Katz, what he always says on that podcast, um, Industry Standard, he talks about Larry Moss, the acting coach, always says that, you know, performers in general have a hole that was blown inside of them at usually in childhood. And now everything they're doing is just attempt to fill that hole. And I was like, there's some depth to that. There's some truth to that undeniably and like don't get me wrong like i had like my childhood was pretty good don't get me wrong not, not yeah. everything was perfect and there was some some shit that i wish did not happen like throughout yeah. my life like everybody else but there is like i've gotten very aware and uncomfortable about how much i want people to like me 
Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. But like, dude, like, I want, like, I want, I want people to like me, and I think that there's part of stand up is that, and I don't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it wasn't but, that way. I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to do about it, but I mean, I like it's. I have to acknowledge that it is in me, and that's part of what is making me do do the jokes. But I think that's everybody, though, Matt. I think that everybody has wants to be. We're all pack animals, and we all want to feel validated and accepted by the group. Comedians just wear it on our sleeves more. We just kind of go like, no, I'm literally going up on that stage, and uh, I'd like you all to laugh at me and applaud at some points. Yeah. So let's uh, go with this actively. Um, I think well, like people are always like, man, comedians are very depressed. And I think, no, I think people are depressed. I think comedians are very honest. Yes, we're, we're. I think we're more vulnerable with it all. I think we just go like, no, no, I'm just going to be the magnification of all of your anxieties and stresses and and go for it that way. But I, I think there is a weird validation that we seem to seek that we just openly do all the time. And other yeah. people kind of just internalize it. And so it manifests itself in like overeating or drinking or drugs or, you know, just anxiety, can't, you know, inability to sleep or whatever it is. I think they just, we have an outlet somewhat for ours. Where you don't think that. my Wikipedia page right now? <laughs> <laughs> I have it up here on the screen. I'm like, hmm, let's get on this rabbit hole. This should be delicious. But like, um, that's the big thing they teach in like meditation is like the difference between like stimulus and response. It's like mm-hmm. trying to make that bigger like just because something happens does not mean you need to react to it you yes. know and like trying to there's letting a bunch of that stuff go but i think you and i are like we're both like into that and we read about it and i think our smart brains know that like yes. our dumb brain like so let me ask you this like when you realize you're kind of in that rabbit hole of like not when we're like being smart like when we're being dumb and we're overeating or whatever it is you know yep. just like doing the thing how do you snap like do you have a little way that you snap out of it or anything like that or oh man great question i think sometimes for me it could be something small like you just <laughs> you just you know go to the mirror in the morning you just kind of look and go wow this is what we're doing huh this is <laughs> is this this is is that is that's the same t-shirt for the last two days is that what we're and I'll have that moment where I kind of go, you know, like snap out of it. Sometimes it's my girlfriend. She's like, you know, like you just, that's a great thing about having a good partner. I think too, is that those people also help you stay on track and also help you. They'll, they'll notice when you're starting to veer off and it's like, Hey, uh, you've been yeah. to the gym lately or you're like, Oh uh, yeah, no, you're right. I got to, uh, you know, there's all these things that you can use to recorrect yourself. What about you? Do you have signals of like, Oh, it's time to do an adjustment. Ah, uh. I mean, I, this is a, this is a recurring theme with me. Like, I have, I've done the reading. I would know what I should do. Like, I'm, like, oh, like, I'm just like, man. Even in my leisure, I was talking to Julie today at brunch. I'm just so like, I just have this weird intensity about me. Like, I play video games standing up right next to the TV. Like, I'm in it. Like, I'm like literally like, I'm just like, and I I do like I know I should relax, but I don't. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't sleep well. I don't. Uh, I don't chill. I'm not a very chill man. Yeah. Um, I think emotionally I'm a little chill, uh, but like I do, like I'm just constantly like motoring at this frequency. Yeah. Over the speed limit. Yeah. The big thing I learned, man, it was like a therapist I went to years ago, and he just was. I thought he was brilliant. It was almost like a Yoda type moment. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think it's worth sharing again. He said, uh, "He goes, yeah, you've learned in your life to kind of fill in dots." 
like there's been things that have happened in your life and you filled in dots with what to define why they happened to, to attach a story to them as to why to make sense of it. Like that's a human yeah. thing to try and make sense of something. So you connect those dots with these stories, which may or may not be true. So you have to acknowledge that those things may or may not be true. All you know is the event happened. You don't know why you don't know the detail of it. He goes, now that ability to do that, he goes is a survival technique and it's great for you as a creative as a comedian, as a writer, to generate and to imagine things, you've made a living from it. He goes, great in your professional life, not great in your personal life. So true. And he goes, so you have to decide, because that's the child in us, right, that wants to write those stories and fill in the blanks because we need to define what this is. And he goes, so you've used it to your advantage. He goes, but you cannot let it take over your adult personal life because that that will be that will destroy that. And man, when he said that, I was like, oh man, like, and you just start plugging in past moments in your life of like, oh yeah, I did it about that, and I did it about that, and it unlocked a lot of stuff for me. It was a very it was a groundbreaking moment. Yeah, it's kind of it's honestly it's it's kind of horrifying. But it's just. I'm always like, like I'll just be thinking and I'll just be zoned out and I'll just be thinking like running over stuff I did in my head. Like, oh, I wish I didn't do that or I wish I did this differently. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, this happened because of this and I'm this because of that. And I'm like, no, man, you're you're trying. I think a lot of it is I think humans. I mean, no, I won't say humans because I want to speak for anyone else, but I'll speak for myself. I think I'm a little uncomfortable with like how everything is just it's a bit random. You know, uh-huh. like it's not a meritocracy. Like there's, you know, there's people who I know who I think are better than me who have not gotten what I have and people who are worse who have gotten, you know, like, it's not like, and even taking it out of comedy, just as a person, like some people just get such a shitty deal uh, in life and there's no reason for it. Like, it's just like, it is like, I think we're deeply uncomfortable with like randomness. And I also think that like, there's this thing about when you're a kid and you're like, tell me a story, like tell me a story is like such a thing. That's like in us, we want a story. I don't know if that's from religion or what, but like, it's like, we want to like have something be made sense of. And I think it's kind of just like, dude, stuff's happening. Roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think when we have, we're obsessed with two things too. We're obsessed with fairness and obsessed with closure. Like, yeah. okay, things have got to be, I put in this much effort, so things should therefore equal this outcome. It's like, who told you that? Who promised you that when you did these things, this would automatically happen? It's like, that never works. And the other thing is, there's a mil, every, almost everything in life has no closure. Like there's no, <laughs> there's never yeah, no like, way. right? No <laughs> exactly. one's dying. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> we're all afraid of. That's the closure. So there you go. It's all been closed. We want closure, but that's what we do not want at all. We actually, you're right. It's like that concept of the ultimate closure is like, that's coming. So you can count on that eventually at some point, but everything else is just random. There's no fairness to it. There's no reason for it, you know, in a lot of ways, but we become obsessed with trying to figure that out. And that monopolizes so much of our thought and our time and our energy. And uh, it's like, no, it's just, just roll and just roll and roll, especially in entertainment. I mean, if you're trying to sit back and figure out why this happened, it's it's just, you'll never do it. No, no. And it's, I mean, I'm not a complete nihilist. Like, I do believe, you know, like there's, there's a certain amount of, you know, put good in, get good out. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I do believe in that. I think I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a survival technique. Yeah. 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 But, but I think you're, yeah, I think it, it's at the end of the day, I just would like to live in that space of like, I'm going to try and be a good person, totally acknowledging that I am imperfect and 
I will make lots of mistakes, but I can live with myself at the end of the day. That's all I'm asking to do. And if I can do that, I go, the rest of it is going to take care of itself. And also knowing that you'll figure it out. I think that's a large part of being comedians and or self-employed people or entrepreneurs is there's an underlying faith of like, I don't know what next month looks like, but I know I'll figure it out, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if it, even if you can't figure it out, I think something that I keep trying to tell myself is like, even if I can't figure it out, I'll deal with it. Yes. You know, like there's no, I don't know. <laughs> I love the idea that someone was like, saw that me and you were doing a podcast and they're like, man, I bet this will be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dude was philosophizing for an hour and change. Like what? Yeah. Comedians and their thoughts. About the- oh, I know. Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's, uh, it's all part of it. But I don't know, man. It's uh I think I, I don't I don't think this is a nice thing, but I do think it's just getting comfortable with like that uncertainty and just that shit is going to happen. And- yeah. But isn't that do you think this opposes to you? Do you think I believe like all art is hopeful because you start with just a spark of an idea and you go down that rabbit hole and you chase it for you. It's like it could be a short film idea. It could be a sketch. It could be a stand up bit. But you're, you're chasing that. You're fueled by something. And I think a lot of times it's hope that this will amount to something. This will turn out to be something bigger than this little spark of an idea that I've started with. Would you would you agree with that? I do. And I do think it's hopeful. And I, I like that you said that. And I think that maybe if it won't turn out to something. And I mean, I'm not always this pure in my thinking, but I do think that this is like the if there's one like thing that like capital D drives me. It's like I remember being very depressed. And then I watched Parks and Recreation and I laughed very hard and I felt better. Right. Wow. It's like, if I can make something that does that for someone one day, it's like, because it is like part of it for like art as a, not in terms of making it, or maybe a little bit in terms of making it, but it is like, it's a soothing mechanism. Somebody mm-hmm. thinks, so many things are, you're just like, fuck oh, man, I just want to, you know, you get home after a long day and you're just like, I just want to watch television. And then yeah. you're just like, I'm not thinking about my day. I'm just sitting here and these lights are flickering. My brain is perceiving it to be as. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like that. And that's like a thing that I'm uncomfortable with, with like the ego side of it. Uh, that's the other side of it that I am comfortable with. And I do like that. Yeah. Well, also too, sometimes the process itself may not lead to something that's amazing at the end of it, but I think you're right. Just the journey of going after it. Like you may not ever use that bit or that sketch may never see the light of day, but I think there was something in the process of making it or chasing it that was soothing for you in the moment that you may be able to use at another stage down the road in a year's time, there's something from that that you may use. So I feel like it's just always hopeful when you start down that road. It's you never start down that road and go, this is not going to work. No, no, <laughs> I mean, and that's been something that writing on 22 is really good for is you just get comfortable with how much of the stuff that you write sucks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you're just like, no, I just need to, ca-. I like, I'm just like, when I get stressed about stuff, I'm just like, no, capture your ideas. That's your only real job is to capture your ideas. You don't decide which ones are good. You don't decide if you do a good job with any of them, really. Yeah. You just have to like, if I have a thought that might be worth something, I'm getting it down in my little notes app. I always try to like, I look at myself like, as a stand-up, I'm like, I just get to be a detective about stuff that no one gives a shit about. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, like, all the yeah. other detectives, like regular people, are like going around like solving murders and whatnot. I'm like, yeah, but 
someone needs to figure out why plastic bags are weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who's working on that? Oh, that's available? Oh, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys are tracing bodies with chalk? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I'm the same way. I've, I've said that before. Being someone asking me about stand up, and I'm like, I think our job is just to notice stuff. Our job is just to mm. notice things that other people don't spend time with. We put everyday things under a microscope and spend time with it, and look at it from a different perspective, and move it around and manipulate it. And other people just don't do that because they're so busy moving at this clip of life. We slow it down and go, whoa, 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 that thing. What? Whoa, whoa, mm. just go back a bit. Go back a bit. That, yeah, what's that about? Everyone else is just moving on 100 miles an hour. And I feel like that's the job at the end of the day. Well, I think so many things are stupid. Yes. Um, and I think that the amount of stuff that we do just because we were told that's what happened. Like money, I think about how dumb money is all the time. I find it so heartbreaking that we made it through quarantine and no one once was like, hey, is it? it's weird that we just... We like we people invented money so they could trade turnips easier, and we're right. still like now like people like it's what true. the fuck is going on? Like the amount of time that we spend just building this imaginary number, it's yes. crazy. And no one wants during quarantine was like, yeah, you think we should get off this system a little bit? No one wants. It makes me live it. But everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Well, isn't it ridiculous that we made a thing so that we could transport and move other things? Like you'll need yeah. this thing to get that thing. And the more of these things you have, then the more of those things you could have. It's like, yeah, but they're all just things. They're all things that we just make. Like it's, 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 it's totally ridiculous. And people are dying for it and wars are started because of it. And it's like, it's just a thing we make. It doesn't. Well, just you could just make more of it if you wanted to. You could just make more of it in a factory. Just make more of it. <laughs> yeah, there's like, like we don't need, like we don't need. No one needs to be poor right now. We could easily support everyone in the entire world. Everyone could have basic food, shelter, uh, medical care. We could do that right now. We have the resources. We could easily do that. Uh, well, not easily because we would have to kill some very rich people and steal the <laughs> I don't think they'd part with it readily. Like, we like your ideas. Here's everything I have. Take it yeah. and go. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I mean, there's so many people who are like, I don't know if you've ever read the psychopath test. No. They're just like, I don't know. It's a terrifying amount of people who just do not have empathy whatsoever. Right. Um, and I'm not a perfect person, but I feel bad when I do shit wrong. And some yeah. people don't. Yeah, it's so insane. Weird. And you think psychopath, you think about murderers, right? But most of them are not murderers. Most right. of them are in high-level, corporate-level positions. Cutthroat. number needs to be bigger, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and, done. And, that's, and they run the world now because they don't have shame. Whoops. Yeah, no, you're right. It's crazy. It's insane. It, it's it's terrifying on that level. And that's what I feel like, too, with comedy, music, art, movies, uh, books. I feel like the world, in a way, has had this had this realization of, like, man, we need that stuff now more than ever. And the irony, of course, is that, you know, you can't go to live shows in a lot of places anymore and, and stuff. But I feel like the world has started to learn that, I think, in a certain way of, like, oh, well, we've been pretty unkind to one another over large yeah. periods of time. And we've been moving at such a ridiculous clip for such a long time that are we looking around and seeing what the other person's, are you okay? Hey, do you, I've been running to try and chase my own dreams. Do you need some of this extra water I've been carrying? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we're just trying to be more like, oh, there's other people here also suffering. And, you know, so I'm hopeful that maybe oh, yeah. we're being a bit more wide open to that. 
And there is something a little bit delicious about how we all got stuck in the house and everyone had to watch movies and shit all day. And people who do not support the arts and want to defund all this stuff and like arts grants and they all hate that. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, well, look who comes crawling back. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, you'd like to listen to this podcast now, would you? Well, let me honor your request after a few weeks and I'll process it. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do think there's a bit of a reckoning with regards to that stuff. For you now, what's going on, man? What's what's coming up on the horizon for you over the next uh, bunch of months? What are you looking to do? Uh, I mean, mostly 2020 is just actively suppressing panic attacks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's going to take up a lot of time. <laughs> um well, I'm, I'm right now. I'm running at 22. I'm trying to like. It's so weird. Uh, I don't know like where your most of your listener base is, but like I'm living in Newfoundland right now, and like I went, I did a show last night. I almost feel bad saying it. Amazing, I'm amazing. Like, I was, I'm allowed. Like, yeah, that's awesome. So, um, just I don't know. Just keep doing stand up. Try to work on all these these giant questions that me and you just talked about. That <laughs> that type of thing, and just kind of keep, you know, keep collecting ideas. I'm, I'd like to. I, I mean, in terms of like career goals and stuff, like. I would like to make like a movie. I'd want to make a movie or a show. Like I just want, uh, I want, I'd like to have the opportunity to do one of my ideas on a big scale, um, like a movie or a show, something like that. I'm writing something about people who are uh, really into competitive eating right now. And that's been a fun little world to get into. Nice. Um, and then just keep clicking along with stand up. Like I feel like stand up is like an old blanket that's like always kind of there. You know what I yeah. mean? Like just like yeah, I'd like to put out an album every two or three years and uh, yeah, doing live shows because I'm addicted to it. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a very good future planner. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, but I, I think that's what I mean. I, I ask myself that same question all the time, and I go like, well, I would like to do this, and I would like to do this, but I don't often look and project goals that far in the distance it's probably like within six months or whatever but i'm like in terms of like bigger things like that i'm like i don't know what next year looks like but it's hard to even get your head around that and then with this changing world of like you can do live shows you can't do live shows you can oh they're scaled down now i'm like what does that even look like anymore like touring for example or you know i I, that to me i'm like i need to get my head around what that looks like and it's it's ever changing depending on what province and where you want to go you know I couldn't figure that out before a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you right now, the most stressful part of my life as a comedian, writer, actor, whatever, is touring. Like to me, that whole thing of putting tickets on sale and getting venues sorted and all that kind of stuff. And that, like, I find that the most anxiety ridden thing of like, are people coming? Are people going to come to the shows? You know, you you invest so much money up front to like do all these things like that. To me, I don't know if that'll ever get easier. You know what I mean? Like oh, it's I like, mean, I think everyone kind of longs for the day. I mean, I I I don't like that this is true, but like you know, unless I'm working on a TV show or something, the amount of money I make depends on how many people plunk their asses in seats, and I yeah. am, you know, I'm reliant on the people for that, and I'm grateful to anyone who ever comes and sees anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I will say in terms of like future planning and like goals and stuff, I think the fact that I have gotten some stuff that I thought was going to make me happy and it didn't, I think now my goals are mostly to like find myself, spend more time around people that I actually love, work on things that I I care about and like enjoy the day to day. I think that's like, I know those are such like wishy-washy, like large scale things, but like at the end of the day, like, 
I just want to hang around people who don't make me insane and yeah. just, you know, have a laugh with your friends and go home and eat dinner with my girlfriend and pet my dog and go to sleep and try again the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a great, I think that's a great daily goal for everybody to have every single day is like, just keep it basic and simple. And the rest is all going to be madness and insanity and you'll just navigate it and figure it out. But if you can hold on to that little nugget of living, it's like, I think you'd probably be a pretty happy person at the end of each day, you know, yeah, to do those things. Video games right next to the TV standing up. So screaming at the television <laughs> for the love of God. Um, all right, dude, thanks so much for doing this, man. It was awesome to catch back up. Uh, I feel like we took a... Yeah, we took time to actually catch up that we didn't get a chance to actually do officially when you were uh, at the festival. So it was uh, good to actually sit down and do it. And uh, if we were at the festival, we would have people out. I'm sure. Um, all right, brother, take care, man. Great talking. Tell Matt Stage and I said hi. Will do. <laughs> all right. That's it. That's my chat with Mr. Matt Wright. Um, yeah, a little bit, covered a little bit of everything there. A little bit of stand-up, you know, um, future plans, dealing with anxiety, meditation, mindfulness, career, dreams, goals, effort. It's all in there. You know, another, another fully packed episode of the Generators podcast. And uh, grateful to Matt for his time. And I uh, hope to see him soon, hopefully at some point. Down the road, maybe over the holidays, I'll be in St. John's and maybe get a chance to catch up with them. You guys out there listening right now, listen to me. Have a fantastic week. All right? Try something different. If you've been going through a rough time, stay with it. Stick it out. Talk to a friend. Talk to whoever you got to talk to. Watch something funny. Listen to something funny. Buy yourself some new music or listen to some new music. Take a walk, exercise, drink more water, whatever you got to do. Okay? Get yourself back on track. You don't have to wait till January 1st. You can turn things around now. Um, have a fantastic week. And uh, we'll uh, see you all again next week on the Generators Podcast. Bye. Bye.